Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Just takes a quick second. That really helps us out, kind of expand this thing, get your feedback on it. So that would be, uh, be fantastic. Um, we have a lot to go over today. Um, I'm joined today by my colleagues from over Indie Cornrows, Tom Lewis and Caitlin Cooper. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today? Good. I had a popsicle before I got on here, so <laughs> it's looking up. I had an Any orange. That's, that's my dinner so far. So hopefully we'll have time to make something later. What flavor of popsicle was it? At least we got to We got to know details. Oh, strawberry outshine. Popsicles are pretty much why Ooh. I get up in the morning, Mark. Those that's, popsicles okay, are that's, life. That's pretty popsicles are life. So. All right. I'm a peanut butter person personally. So we start off with our peas. Tom, what did you have? What, what did you have today? <laughs> are we fast break breakfast now? Except in Indiana. <laughs> Tom, what did, what did you have? You what know, are you waking a- up for in the morning? I, I usually have a uh, like a peanut granola bar, peanut butter basically, but in a granola bar form. So um, that's usually what gets me going with a humongous cup of coffee. I agree on that. I've only had two cups of coffee today, and I feel like I need about six more because free agency <laughs> starts at midnight. So it's going to be exciting. Um, the first thing we have to hit up on, uh, obviously yesterday with the 54th pick, the NBA draft, the Pacers took Cassius Stanley. We don't have to talk too much about it because we don't know a lot about him. I'll have something coming out in a day or two. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a nice pick, uh, kind of interesting choice just in terms of fitting along with um, what the front office wants to build around with Coach Bjorkren getting someone who's probably now the best athlete on the team, which Chad Buchanan mentioned that and talking to some people who are high in the draft. Um, they corroborated that. So I, I thought it was a, a good pick. I'm interested to see how he maybe factors in in uh, throughout the course of his rookie deal. Yeah, I, I'm questioning if he won't end up being on a two-way contract, especially now that they haven't extended qualifying offers to Brian Bowen and Naz, but also kind of a lot of log jam there. So where yeah. his development will come from, especially just in his first season, could be a little bit shaky if we don't know what happened with the G League. Because, I mean, they already have Brogdon, Aaron, and McConnell at point guard and Oladipo, Jeremy, and Sumner, which it sounded like last night that they think that Jeremy's going to be fairly ready to go here. So yeah. not not a lot of open opportunity there. And it, it does seem like there might be a little bit of uh, overlap between he and Edmonds' game, just a little bit. Like, he's a better shooter off the catch. But in terms of, you know, being super athletes who get out in transition and can finish in transition and, and – hopefully mold into NBA level defenders. There's a lot of similarities there, but I was also a little bit surprised. How old did you guys think that he was? Well, I see. Yeah, I knew how old he was going in, which was part of the reason why he, he probably fell so far. Um, but yeah, Tom, how old did you think he was? Yeah, no, I know. I, I didn't realize he was a one and done because I had seen his age um, mm. when we were looking at some of this, that stuff earlier this week. I didn't realize he was a one and done. <laughs> it's like, he's like two years older than his class. So, yeah. um, but that, you know, I mean, he, he's a guy who came out early, even despite his age, um, probably would have gotten drafted higher if he played another year 
um, and you know, did well at Duke. So maybe you know, in that sense, it it uh, and the the timing of the pick, I think, you know, makes sense. It also makes sense that um, you know he was slid into a developmental slot and and more 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 than likely be a two way guy, so they can get him those reps they want. But um, you know, just from the the skill set, it, it all comes down to now, you know. Is he going to work and, and play as hard as Russell Westbrook, his, his mentor? And, uh, well, yeah, apparently he's got a pretty monster work ethic, steal. so we'll see. Yeah, yeah I, uh, so. no, so he was funny because I was telling you before I got on, Tom, I, I had not even looked at Cassius Stanley because he was mocked to go at the end of the first round or very top of the second. And I did an aggregate of like 10 different draft boards and, and scouting around too. Like nobody thought I was going to drop that far. Or at least very few did, so that was surprising. Um, definitely mm-hmm. liked the pick, but there um, was only six guards that went in the top twenty. Like guards in general, kind of had a tendency to slide last night, and you know, for maybe Pritchard. So right, sorry I for mean, the voice crack. Yeah, that was I. Uh, I was watching. I don't know if you know. Well, I did a pod with Ben Pfeiffer um, last week, but him and Max Carlin are some of the best draft people out there, and they were abhorrently shocked when Pey- Peyton Pritchard got got picked at twenty six. Like there was a lot of aghast or I probably should use that word completely wrong, but yeah, it was a big shock that Peyton Pritchard went that high. Yeah, yeah I mean, for the, surprising. for the Pacers, you know, maybe it's just a, I mean, it sounds like a fits the Bjorken system. And if, you know, sometimes I think you just look at talent superseding need, especially that late in the draft. If you think there's potential there, that's the guy that you go with. And obviously, you know, the Pacers draft team and their scouting team have watched all of these <laughs> players far more than I would ever be able to. So I trust in who they thought was going to be the best pick at that spot. Yeah. And I, I, I love the idea of when in doubt, go with a versatile wing guy who could possibly guard three to four positions. Yeah. He kind and, of, and, so I know, you know not to, not to steal Tony. All those, all those little things. But. Yeah. Yeah. Not to steal Tony's thunder from lockdown, but he brought up a great point about how he's he, a little bit like GR three reminds me a lot of the GR three pick because he wasn't super productive at Michigan either. Um, he was probably, I don't want to say he was the, like the worst star on that group, but I remember Mitch McGarry, Trey Burke, all those guys had way more um, draft stock than, than Glenn did. And he actually is somehow, other than Tim Hardaway Jr., he's been the best pro out of all of them. Um, or I guess that's kind of debatable. But, you know, you know I, I just in terms of super athletic, um, wasn't awesome at any one thing in college. But, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited for his development. Um, so kind of getting into more – diverse is wrong complex things um obviously caitlin i'm so sorry drew holiday is not going to be a pacer um found his way in a trade to milwaukee um i just want to start off hitting on this a little quickly because um there are some people who who, who got upset that the pacers did not get drew holiday and I, i understand that but um i think i just wanted to hit on how massive the haul was for drew holiday compared to what we thought it was going to be um and why it probably wouldn't have made any sense for the Pacers to really make that kind of bid for Drew? No, I got over that grief real fast as soon as I saw how many picks that were yeah. going. I mean, when you yeah. and I when I when you and I recorded the last podcast, that's what I said. Like I would be fully in favor of trying to get Drew Holiday if it was if David Griffin was valuing players that they could use right now. If it was about draft co- capital, I don't think that makes sense for the Pacers. Mm-hmm. Like they're not a team that's, you know, Milwaukee has, first of all, they need to keep Giannis in Milwaukee and two, they have championship aspirations. So you give up that type of stuff when you're really shooting for the fences and you think that you're going to be able to compete. I don't think that the Pacers are really in that position right now. So as sad as it made me that my 
Unite the Holiday Brothers campaign came to an end and my propaganda was not effective, it made sense. No more singing. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting too because I think the the Bucks are just getting that much better. It'll be the whole thing with Bogdan Vodanovich is weird, but it really seems like a lot of that's just them trying to avoid tampering charges. So um, I don't know. They were, Jared Vice mm -hmm. at the Boston Athletic reported this morning that the Hawks have interest in Bogdan oh, Bogdanovich with an offer sheet, which is why they thought some of this was throwing a wrench in some of the Gordon Hayward discussions. Because if the Hawks were going to go hard after Bogdanovich instead of Hayward, then Hayward wasn't going to have this cap space team to convince Boston to potentially move him in yeah. a sign and trade deal because he has to have a threat somewhere out there of a team that could sign him. So. Yeah, apparently Atlanta has interest in Bogdan Bogdanovich, but we'll see. Well, speaking of – might be uh, the next one. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. Speaking of teams uh, that are throwing a wrench in things with Gordon Hayward, Mark Stein just reported about an hour ago that the Knicks are pursuing Gordon Hayward. They have the cap space to do it. Um, Hayward just opted out for Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams also backed that up. Um, so – that throws a wrench into things a little bit. Um, I, where are we kind of at in deciphering everything on what's going on with Gordon Hayward? Because obviously the fact that he's opted out and that he got the extension uh, on his uh, his option, or not the extension, but the, he got the extension on his deadline to accept or decline his option shows that something is definitely up. Um, and Gordon Hayward is kind of the other player that has really been linked to the Pacers for a while now. Um, and there is – there are some feasible means to make it happen. So just in terms of everything that's going on right now, where are we kind of at with that? I'll tune it. I mean, I'll turn to Tom first since he seems to have the goods on some of this information. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I know just from the Hayward standpoint, it, um, you know, I don't necessarily think he wants to come to any in particular, but I think he definitely would, wouldn't mind it. And, um, you know, just, from things I heard, it, it there was de there's definitely been discussions, um, and there's it's just been difficult to come up with uh, um, a scenario where they could could make a deal. Now this might change things, obviously, um, but before if they were trying to you know trying to match salaries, this wasn't going to happen, and I I, I believe that. You know, in, in large part, Boston didn't want much more than Miles Turner. Um, they didn't want to take out a bunch of other stuff, apparently. So, um, you know, I, I guess now we'll, we'll have to see if he can, you know, if they can work out some other sign and trade. I'm not sure how all the machinations of this would work now, now that well, he's opted out. Yeah, I mean, now that he's opted out, he can still re-sign with Boston on yep. an extension at a lower annual average value, or he could sign with one of the three teams right. with cap space, which is either Atlanta, Charlotte, or New York, or he and Boston can agree on some type of a sign-and-trade deal. But what Mark said is that's what I found was interesting two days ago when the Hawks got brought up is mm -hmm. that they extended that deadline, which makes you think that he wanted to open up all of his possible options because otherwise if he was just dead set on getting to the Hawks, he could have just opted out and waited till Friday and then signed there. Like if, it, if he and his agent <laughs> right. thought that money was out there, like they didn't really need to postpone his opt out deadline until today at five, which just leads me to believe he at least has some other potential landing spots in mind. I don't know what those are, but. Um, I mean, it, the actual opt-out today doesn't necessarily change a lot because he still has all three of those options in front of him, including right. just staying where he is. 
I mean, I would be interested to know how much Boston, I know in that article that I mentioned earlier about Bogdan Bogdanovich, that Boston might have had interest in taking back John Collins or Dwayne Dedman after how the draft fell for Atlanta last night, but then the Hawks traded Dwayne Dedman to Detroit. So as Tom says, lots of moving parts in this scenario. Yeah, it was funny too, because I tweeted out yesterday when I was pretty surprised, I mean, I don't want to say surprised, but I mean, Okongwu wasn't expected to fall to six. Um, but when the Hawks selected him immediately, I was like, okay, well, reports have been leaking out about how high Boston has been on Onyeka Okongwu. Um, maybe that's part of some kind of trade that they want to do for Gordon Hayward. Um, but again, like you just mentioned, trading their, who the guy who would be the backup center if Okongwu gets traded, um, that makes it a lot less likely. So I, I don't know. Again, that's, that's just trying to read a lot of tea leaves, but just, just kind of where I was um, getting from yesterday. Um, but regardless, I think, Tom, you're mentioning the machinations a little bit. I got into this with Rhett Bauer a little bit on, on the past podcast we did, but basically, I mean, with, uh, with, if, if Gordon Hayward didn't turn down his player option, it would have been almost impossible to make a deal happen with Indiana um, just in terms of what was going to get given up and how much was going to be taken back and uh, all that. So uh, this makes it a lot more feasible um, and I think I would ask you guys too. I, I don't know where you're at on this because I, I actually don't know if I've asked you up front. Would you, if it is a deal straight up for Miles Turner, um, would you be willing to make that deal? Gordon Hayward and Miles Turner. And you say, okay, just for a baseline, Gordon Hayward signs a three for 75 or like four for four for 84 or something like that. Which one of us first? Oh, either <laughs> can go first. Yeah. Um, I think that Gordon Hayward, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> mentioned this in the last pod so I'm not going to shy away from it I think he would give you more schematic flexibility I have some things in mind that I would share if something goes along with this but um, as a guy that could fit into a switching defensive scheme it makes more sense to me with the types of amorphous defense they want to play if you want to have your five starters on the floor and be changing from you know one alignment to the next it's going to make more sense having him on the floor than having two bigs on the floor at the same time and beyond that just as an extra ball handler a playmaker somebody who can grab the ball off the glass and immediately initiate and orchestrate offense all of that seems very uh Bjorkren to me and they don't really have another answer in terms of an interchangeable forward who can do all of those things at the same time like they have they have a facsimile of all those skills amongst other players but none of them in just one player so yeah um, the miles thing is always going to be an interesting one because I know people are always going to wonder like, you know, what would miles look like under Nate Bjorkren or what, what would he look yeah. like under Brad Stevens? And I think, you know, I'm not going to say that's completely invalid, but for the Pacers, they can't really consider what he might look like with Boston because for one, you have to consider, is he going to be able to look like that here next to Sabonis? Or even if you were going to move Sabonis and keep Miles, do you have the same small ball roster that Boston has to support that type of a look? And I don't know, based on what we saw in the bubble, if, if you can definitively say the answer to that is yes. I think that Miles can improve. I think that there's different things in terms of X's and O's that would help him get there. But like we said on the pod, it's a two-way street. And I think it makes sense from the Pacers' perspective that they would at least be sniffing around on Gordon. Hayward because trades are their best means to get better and the rest of the east it seems has gotten a little bit better over the last week here so or at least the top teams yeah yeah I think yeah not to butt in Tom but I think where I'm at on this because I know 
I've talked to a lot of people just in the IC comments, like a lot of, a lot of our friends in the IC comments are not big fans of the idea of trading for Gordon Hayward, especially if it means giving up miles. And I think I just really side with UK. And I know we've talked about this before, but it's just like, I think we can't be focused on the fact that miles could be better somewhere else. And you have to focus on the fact, okay, right now in Indiana, it's not happening. Like at least from what we've seen so far, it's not happening. Gordon Hayward makes more sense fit wise on both sides of the ball, regardless. So I think you just have to look at that as a complete win. Um, and I mean, frankly, Warren Hayward's just a better player than Miles Turner is right now. And that's not being unfair. So, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Kevin's point about at some point, you know, we got to move Miles or, or Joe Moss, you know, whatever we've been talking about so long. But, you know, and, and this is a great opportunity, I think, to get a guy who, um, assuming he's healthy, and you know, again, obviously the price of whatever that contract would be, the length would be uh, important factors as well um, in the in the long term value of, of the move. But yeah, at some point we got to rip the bandaid off. I mean, honestly, I feel like Miles would be perfect for Boston and probably really um, do well there with that su- surrounding cast. So you know, it's not like you think miles is going to go flame out somewhere. It's just going to be a different situation. And, and, you know, maybe they'll bring the best out of him. I hope yeah. it does for him. Not really for the, the Celtics in the East, but, um, but it, it, it just completely gives the Pacers that flexibility now to make other moves or, you know, do a variety of things under Bjorkman. Um, with TJ Warren and then, you know, the guard play, we don't know what's going on with Vic. So, I mean, it just kind of breaks that chunk off of, you know, that kind of big clunky core we've been with that just can't seem to stay healthy and, and um, get to another level. So if, if now's the time to do that, you know, I'm definitely willing to go for it. Um, I don't think it's, it would be a disaster at all and could really, um, be big going forward. So I, I'd go for it. I know, I know people love miles and I mean, that's the other sad thing, you know, I, I hate talking about the stuff with miles just because he has been a Pacers player that just loves being here and wants to be here. You know, he, you know, when we've gone through the big stuff and Paul George and all that, he's, he's been the guy who's always been loyal. And, and I think that's why the fans love him as well and want to make it work. But, um, we gotta get this uh, get this roster to move forward. So um, I just wouldn't be surprised if they made some type of move like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think <laughs> well, well, what's also funny, or not not even that funny, just kind of ironic, if Miles were to end up in Boston, let's say, Domas is like the exact kind of player that gives Miles fits. So I, I do, I always, yeah. I, I would point to that. But um, I think the last well, what's that video real quick? That, that video that Miles posted recently. If I'm working out with, um, I don't yeah, it was Taco Fall, right? Yeah, it was and, and Taco Grant, Fall and Grant Williams, I think. Grant Williams, yeah, and, and that every time I saw him, you know, muffing that layup against Grant Williams, I'm like, yeah, that'd be alright. <laughs> you know, it's just those types of things that drive you nuts with Miles. So some of that anyway, health, sorry. Oh, some of the health injuries and um injury stuff with Gordon is interesting because it's like I'm obviously not a doctor but it mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily <laughs> seem like he's just like deteriorating as much as he has like incredibly bad luck with body yeah. parts being in the wrong place at the wrong time like yeah. somewhat I mean somewhat similar to Malcolm last year like I don't know that a lot of 
what's going on with Gordon is necessarily related. Like I know he did sit out rest games some for his, you know, more major ankle, you know, injury that he suffered in his first game with the Celtics. But like he also just broke his hand and then had a bad ankle injury where he stepped on somebody's foot in the playoffs. Like it's not like this is something where, you know, where you could see with Derrick Rose where kind of for a while, like one injury was begetting the next or maybe overcompensating was leading to this, to that. Like it kind of just seems like he has some bad luck, which I suppose could continue, but I don't know that it's that he's, you know, like I said, uh, breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think John Corrales, the lockdown Celtics made a really great point. Um, in talking about that, I was like, you know, you can, he's been injury, uh, he hasn't been injury averse, but he hasn't exactly been like injury prone. Like you're saying, like, it's not, they're not compounded injuries, which is the, that's the stuff that you have to worry about. It's not the stuff like with Vic or unfortunately, like we saw with clay Thompson, um, which that sucks. Um, I got that notification. And I was like, Oh man, I feel for him. Um, but it happens. Um, so I think the last thing that I do want to mention before we hit the break really quick and hit our second segment um, overall, are we okay with the fact that, uh, or not even are we okay, but like, let's just talk about for a second. The, the Pacers have not made any moves. Um, talk about why maybe, and um, just kind of where we're at with that. Because a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of Pacers fans are a little bit frustrated that no moves have been made yet. But um, I also point and say there's not really any move that the Pacers could have made yet. Like we mentioned with, just, with Drew Holiday, um, uh, what other moves are the Pacers kind of factoring in here? That's kind of what, what I come back to, like what, what what move are we even expecting um they they'd already been on the table saying that they weren't really enamored with this draft um so i i just i i think if they're making moves it's happening soon um but yeah what was tbd on that i guess i mean it would be i mean first of all this hayward stuff's just kind of dragging on and on here yeah. and it's going to until free agency is open because they're not going to have another situation like Bogdan Bogdanovich where it's clear that two teams tampered with somebody yeah. <laughs> who was a rest- who was under contract but beyond that um like it's tough as an outsider to really know because we don't know what deals were available what was even there for the Pacers to do but I mean as far as like draft night goes they don't have a lot of cap space so if they had moved up in the draft for somebody on a rookie scale deal, they wouldn't have even had space for some of those guys really high up in there and then been able to finish out their roster unless they made other moves. But one that did open my eyes a little bit last night was that between the Sixers and the Mavericks, yeah, which made me question what exactly is going on with Oladipo a little bit, because to me, both of those teams were teams that you could see feasibly might have had an interest in Victor if they had struck out on other options. Like you could see that the Mavericks, they needed to put defense next to Luka Doncic. They needed another playmaker there that like, Hey, maybe they would have been able to strike some type of deal around number 18 and Victor, or you look at the Sixers and you would have thought, Hey, maybe Daryl Morey will be willing to do a, a buy low deal and put Victor around Ben Ben Simmons and, and, and be given his affinity for just like acquiring talent and figuring out how it works later. And the fact that they weren't involved in that either tells me a, the, the Sixers and the Mavericks were like, Hey, we don't want to take that risk. We're, we're, we're fine with our, you know, our role player and Seth Curry (laughs) going to be a great fit and a great shooter. And in the reverse, we'd rather just stick with Josh Richardson. And at the end of the year, he's probably not going to keep his player option anyways, and hope that he has a better season than he did with Philadelphia or that the Pacers are just like, well, 
we're just going to try to make Victor work or that he just has zero market. Like, I don't really know how to interpret that, but those yeah. were two teams that I thought could have been Oladipo takers. Around with, so, with Victor. Right. Oh. I'm sorry. I, was, I, I thought you were done there. No, um, I was. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just, just as an aside, the whole Sham Sharania thing with, <laughs> um, um, you know, all of a sudden Victor's the ambassador for the Pacers welcoming Cassius Stanley to the family. Um, he tweets that out. Shams retweets it with, uh, you know, hey, Victor Oladipo's looking. If you look through Shams' timeline, all he has are transaction tweets for like 24 hours. He has a one with Victor. So um, Within a minute it, of it being posted. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was kind of funny. I was, um, I was thinking earlier today, you know, he reported that Quinn Cook um, was released. And I was waiting for the next post to be Quinn Cook went to high school with Victor Oladipo. I know. Uh, I, know. It, I it, totally it, thought that too. But all of a sudden, you know, like Victor's like making amends, trying to beat, you know, looking to the family. Um, and, you know, I, Buchanan mentioned last night that, you know, they were in talks and things, but everything was too expensive for, for them. Obviously, as, as you mentioned, I mean, it, they're dealing with, uh, uh, a thin line, but I'm, I'm assuming, you know, that, that market for Vic just isn't there with anybody. So now they are making the best of it. But I mean, it, it's kind of on the clock because you, you don't want them to walk for nothing <laughs> um, at the end of the day. So um, I thought that Chad Buchanan's answer to that question, whenever he was asked, uh, is the team still building around Victor Oladipo was very, oh, yeah. was very interesting because yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with his view of what the roster is that, Hey, we have complimentary players and we're building around a good core of players, you know, not really one, but it, it very much came across as we have a lot of guys and Vic is one of those guys. Like, I mean, Absolutely. that's the way that it sounded. Yeah. That was a, that was a smooth pivot to uh, include him and not just say no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's, you know, Victor's going to be the however many million dollar question this year um, throughout the year uh, because you just can't assume um, once that thing runs out that he's, you know, either going to go somewhere else or, you know, the Pacers just aren't going to give him a big top contract unless he's completely healthy. Um, but that um, the way things are set up right now, it's just, it's just uh, a mess at that salary cap level right now yeah yeah I, I don't know it's interesting too because like you're mentioning tom like again we're playing armchair psychologist a little bit like um yeah well does does victor think that it's a group not not to say that he doesn't think it's a group effort but like does he think okay we're building around everybody or we're building around me like that's kind of the question that no oh, no that's totally the way i interpret it yeah like, interpret it is is how is he going to see this when he's not being you know elevated as the franchise player anymore that they're being told we're build, we're building around this group of good complementary players like yeah. it just it was an interesting pivot i'll just uh, say that that is yep. a perfect time to head into our break uh, a, a good question to leave off on um, we will be back in just a minute Welcome back, Pacers fans. Um, so we're pivoting off from that. We're going to be talking about free agents um, that could be in line for the Pacers or that we would look at. 
Um, not going to be your big name guys, because believe it or not, as we've talked about multiple times, the Pacers have very little cap flexibility, barring um, some massive salary dump or, or trade um, that kind of shifts around the machinations of the salary cap for the Pacers right now. Um, so I had you guys bring a couple people to prepare and we can kind of just go one by one and, and talk about them or, or we could even make it a game out of it. I could just throw a name out and we could say, <laughs> can the Pacers pay them? Should they pay them? Uh, you know, go from there. I mean, first of all, like they already have 12 players under contract right now, not yep. counting Cassius Stanley. If they retain Justin, they're going to be at 13. And technically while they did not, extend Alize a qualifying offer he could be re-signed like they could re-sign him as an unrestricted free agent so I kind of wonder will they leave a spot open and then just lean more into two-way players if they absolutely had to like I could see teams doing that this season especially when you don't have cap space you're not going to be paying I mean the two-way players aren't going to count against the cap so I don't know I mean, which, which tack do you want to take here that they are keeping Justin or that they aren't like, do you want to look at guys that, that they might look at if Justin moves on or. Yeah, we can look at both. I mean, I think obviously from everything we've seen, it seems like the main goal is bring back Justin. Um, So I think we can just start from talking, okay, who are the guys that could be potentials if they do bring back Justin. And I think, I, it's it's tough because they still can't offer him the full MLE based on how everything's working out. So I don't – it would have to be guys on a veteran minimum if it's going to happen. I mean, then we're basically talking about one person, correct? Like if, if they sign Cassius Stanley to a regular contract instead of a two-way, they're going to be at 14 roster spots, right? Yep. Yep. So then it's just one player. So who do you have for that? I'll let you go. Oh, man, on the spot. Well, yeah, okay, so – uh, one of the guys who I think uh, – this one's interesting too because it depends on whether or not Jakar Sampson is brought back. Um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is essentially Jakar Sampson, but an inch shorter. Um, I really like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He can do a lot of the same things Jakar does. He's not quite as big, um, but he's really athletic. He can defend like crazy. He's not going to shoot at all. Uh, he can probably handle it a little bit better, um, but I think he's just like a random – wing guy who can fill out the rotation there's still um even after after drafting casters there's still kind of that hole at having somebody who can play uh, play up at you know three and four um so i think he's somebody who could do that he's not exactly perfect but in terms of guys that are and he might not even be on a vet minimum he was on a vet minimum this year but he played pretty well in toronto so i think it just kind of depends on, on what his market's like and I think that's the key that you just said there. Like Rondé Hollis Jefferson was the the top person that I had written down here. Like obviously he's a terrible three point shooter. He's twenty one percent for his career. I think he was like thirteen percent this year. Bobby Marks has him getting paid to between two and four million dollars. So I don't know if that would work out if they kept Justin. But if they don't, I think that's somebody you could look at for the reason you just said. He played for Toronto last year. Like he knows how to adapt to being in a system where you're going to play a, a whirling defensive approach, be able to play zone, be able to guard multiple positions. There's not as very many people who are as defensive or as versatile as he is defensively being able to guard at least four different spots. Um, 76% of his shots came at the rim. Yep. 
Yep. And he gets some offensive rebounds, not a bad rebounder. And he can pass a little bit. Like he's mm-hmm. a guy that if he's in a four on three situation, he can either make a pass or he can attack the rim. Like he's an extremely diet, 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 zero calorie Draymond Green in some respects. So not a perfect fit, but I could see him being somebody to answer their hole at the four spot on, you know, a buy low option. So I don't hate that one. Tom, do you so have yeah, one? Yeah, I kind of, I left him. Uh, off my list basically because I like well I'll just bring the color back, but um, if I had my drillers, you know. So I also was looking at this more of you know kind of both ways without without Justin or with Justin without Justin. Yeah, we we're scraping. We're definitely scraping. Get somebody <laughs> yeah. in here. Uh, now I mean honestly there are a lot of guys who are getting released and and not all of them are going to command you know much more than minimum so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, you know, a guy like, you know, Josh Jackson, Mo Harkless, those type of guys. I don't know. That that's going to be maybe too rich for someone like that. Well, yeah. One person, I think my only other really guy that I have that would be on a minimum or maybe could maybe even be on a two way. Cause he really fell out of the rotation in, in new Orleans just because younger players were getting more time. Um, Kenrich Williams, he regressed a little bit as a three point shooter this year, but he's, Somebody who, just in terms of looking at the system, he could play the four. Um, he theoretically can stretch the floor. I think part of that was, I mean, New Orleans was just a very poor three-point shooting team this year. They didn't have a lot of very good spacing. Um, so maybe being in a different system helps him. I don't know. I think his value would definitely be a little bit lower now. But he's shown, you know, in, in prior seasons, in Anthony Davis's last season, he was a really solid player. Um, and would maybe make sense. Yeah, right before we hopped on here, uh, Jamichael Green declined his player was, yeah. option with the Clippers. So if Justin doesn't come back, that's definitely somebody I would look at. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's 37.4% for his career from three. He can hit spot up threes, can definitely play the four or the five. So that, you know, in that instance, if they did end up moving miles, if, if there was a Gordon Hayward trade, he's somebody that could step in for you and play some backup five, depending upon how Gogo looks. Um, rebounder. And it almost takes all of his shots at the three or around the basket. And he can also do some, I mean, he's kind of flexible and switchy. He's a little bit switchy for a big. So yeah, I could see him fitting yeah. into that defensive system too. Like he would be one of my first calls. I mean, obviously he's looking for a bigger payday for the fact that he declined that option, especially if he could be looking for a little bit of an upgrade in um, playing time, depending on what happens with Montrez Harrell out there. So, but I like Jermichael Green. Yeah, I agree. And I think he's, especially if, if Justin does decline, or I mean, not the client, if Justin doesn't come back, um, the Pacers could offer him more than $5 million. So I think that totally makes sense. And they'd been linked to him in the past, if I remember correctly. So that would, uh, that would definitely make sense. Yeah. He, he was definitely at the top of my list of the, if Justin doesn't come back guys, um, just because I, I mean, I'm, you know, familiar with him making plays whenever he's been on the court and, uh, it'd be so nice to have a guy like that who could play the, you know, from the power forward spot as well. So um, definitely, definitely put him at the top of the food chain if Justin leaves. So my other guy, don't hate me for this one. Um, I I think that this one's viable. I don't know what he's going to – it's it's weird because he wasn't great before the bubble. He was fine before the bubble, but not awesome. Um, really struggled to start the year, but was just fantastic in the bubble and even in the playoffs, Jeff green, I think would be a really good get on the team. Okay. I know, I know, I know, but I think we really saw the ideal role for him is playing as a small ball five. And I think you could 
feasibly throw him out for minutes at the four playing alongside Domas or Goga or whoever is playing five off the bench. Um, I just think he's a versatile forward who, you, I mean, his shot is definitely um, subject to change. Uh, you, you don't know what shot you're getting necessarily. But I, again, like we're talking about the 14th or 15th man on the roster. So like, I think if you get Jeff Green on of that minimum, that's a pretty solid get. And just in terms of upping the versatility and, and length and having a guy who's like an actual four on the roster. Well, everybody knows I have a spot, a soft spot for inverse pick and roll. And when the Rockets were in the bubble, they were running inverse pick and roll for Jeff Green with James Harden as the screener. And that was kind of like a nifty little wrinkle that they added in. Um, when I wrote the Mike D'Antoni piece, they also ran like an extra wrinkle out of the same like twirl stagger play that every single team in the NBA runs. But um, when he would come around, they'd set another back screen for him to go grab a lob. And that was a real effective play too. I mean, it would just give the Pacers another athlete. Like I know mm-hmm. Jeff Green has a lot of big Jeff Green energy following him everywhere he goes, but at a minimum deal, like if, if that's something he'd be willing to look at, I don't think that that's a terrible signing to have at the end of the bench and to give you flexibility, especially at the four spot. So People are probably no, going to hate on us. People are probably going to hate on us, but I don't. I don't think that one's that bad either. I had him written down. You know, one of my uh, my least favorite stories about myself from this year. Before I started writing Indie Cornrows, and I was just writing my own articles on on my website. Um, Jeff Green is like one of my favorite players from growing up because for whatever reason I just have an affinity for empty calorie scorers who never figured out in the NBA. Um, I Rudy Gay was the first player I ever loved growing up. Um, but anyways, Rudy. <laughs> Jeff Green got cut by the Jazz, and after a week, and he didn't get picked up, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write a postmortem about Jeff Green. So I wrote like a 2,000-word postmortem on Jeff Green's career, and he got signed by the Rockets like three weeks later. So that was like one of the ultimate, why did I write this? And I had to go back and delete it immediately because I felt so stupid things. But, yeah, that's uh, one of the fun things about learning how to write. Uh, Tom, do you have anyone else that you'd add? had him and gotten frustrated with him I think the role that they were expecting him to play he didn't live up to but as Caitlin mentioned the role he would be playing with the Pacers much like he did with the Rockets I think um, would not the expectations wouldn't be as high and then you're getting a guy who obviously gives you some of that versatility the same as we're talking about with Jermichael Green so um, you know it's just funny to talk about you know he's got all those stickers on his suitcase um, and journeyman that fits him fits him well but i think in the right situation obviously at the right price it, it definitely wouldn't be a wouldn't be a bad deal for the Pacers. one yeah. other person that i had that if if they don't retain justin is it might not be too bad to t- take a flyer on derrick jones jr yeah like I, I, he doesn't have a lot of other like developed skills aside from like his athleticism being able to crash for uh putbacks but one thing that was really good about him in Miami that was useful for them throughout the season is that it, he was great at using his length at the top of Miami's two, three with how they angle that zone. He was really useful in those spots. So if the Pacers are going to be coming in and out of zone, I could see that being a fit, but like aside from, I mean, and even with Jermichael, he's a spot up shooter, but like all these guys we bring up is like some of this will replace some of the defensive issues you're going to give up if you don't have Justin, but none of these people are going to give you off-screen shooting like Justin provides. Like, I don't know who you're going to be able to go grab that's going to provide the same 
skills on both ends of the floor because like the bench is going to lose so much of its lyricism if Justin isn't out there running floppy with Doug McDermott or being able to mm-hmm. come off a down screen from Sabonis and jut out zigzag out to the wing like he does like those plays that they run with them like you're not doing that with Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Derek Jones Jr. or like I said even Jamichael Green he's a good shooter but he doesn't shoot off a screen so I don't really know if there's a great player out there. Like obviously Bryn Forbes can do that, but the Pacers don't really oh, need defense. anymore. Oof. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the problem. Like you're, you're only addressing yeah. one or the other. If you don't retain Justin plus with Bryn, like the Pacers already have so many, you know, wings. I mean, not even wings like guards that I don't even know where his minutes would necessarily come from. Yeah. If Jeremy's ready to play, but that would give you somebody that you could, you know, plug into DHOs into spot up looks in the same way that you use Justin to an extent. But I mean, Justin is a really important person for them to retain, even though they're not going to be addressing the, the heft problem that they had at the backup four spot all last year. Yeah, exactly. I think the way that I look at it is if Justin is gone, I think you try and spend um, the money you have on someone like Mo Harkless or, you know, just because I think he would fill that four spot like we're talking about. But I think my, I don't want to even say backup plan, but like if you're really trying to recreate some of those offensive looks, I don't, it'd be a little, I don't want to say a project, but we still don't know entirely because he played for the Knicks. So, but I've heard only really good things about him, Uh, Damian Dotson and in watching him play, I like him a lot as a player. I think he still has a a lot to figure out in the NBA, but he's, he's someone who's not a, he reminds me a little bit of Justin because he has like, you can see all the physical tools you can see, okay, he has a nice shot, but it doesn't fall super consistently. I think he shot 35% from three last year. Um, He definitely has the length and athleticism to be a good defender. So I don't know. He's someone, if you sign him for like a two or three year deal for the, um, for the MLE, I think that makes sense because if you're taking him for a one year deal, you're like, okay, well, we're not for sure that what your role is going to be in one year. But if you're like, okay, well, we, we have you for two or three years, we can figure out how to mold you and get you to play in our system. Um, it's not perfect, but it's, I don't, I don't know. I kind of, and it's, it's weird too. Cause I was talking to Jonathan Macri of Nick's daily the other day. And he said, there's no off court issues or anything with him. He has honestly in talking to the coaches, everyone, he has no idea why he didn't have a more consistent role in New York. So he seems like someone who could maybe be like another swing um, kind of like Justin was. He was on my list for sure. Um, when, when I put down some of these three agents, cause you know, I, I feel like he shot it okay, and but yeah, it was just a consistency thing. You, you wonder why he um, wasn't more productive, I guess. And I, I guess if it, it would, for you know, for a cheaper price, it might be worth finding out. So I, I can I can get along with that one. You know, one thing I was gonna mention real quick. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. And no, I was just the only thing I was going to toss in on there was that he can run a little bit of pick and roll too. Like he yeah, has he has like a little bit of, little bit of on ball. He's not like yeah. I think he 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 offers stuff. There's upside to him. What were you going to say, Tom? Well, well, one thing I was just going to mention, just in improving the hopes of of Justin possibly coming back, just seeing all these guys now getting you know getting into the the market and with the state of a lot of teams' financial situation, not the Warriors, obviously. They're, they're having no problems worrying about luxury tax. But um, a lot of other teams, I mean, it just feels like there isn't enough money to go around for a lot of these guys. Um, and I, I do hope if Justin leaves, he gets paid. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he's earned it. I mean, we, we're talking about how valuable he is. 
Um, and I'm sure that's not known around the league. I'm sure the you know, league people know, it, but, but as far as fans and stuff around the league, how valuable he is. So I really hope he gets paid if he leaves. But um, having said that, there's so many guys out there now and, and with, the, with the cap holding and, and the financial uncertainty, it may be, you know, give the Pacers an opportunity to, to possibly bring him back. So um, I'm just reaching for a glimmer of hope there. <laughs> yes, I think the obviously the ideal is is Justin comes back because the team will lose a lot without him. Um, guys, do you have anything, any other names that you want to throw at the wall? No, I think that about covers it. I mean, there's not a lot of people to dig through here, if we're yeah. being honest. If we want to bring up Pat Connaughton, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I guess we could. But, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really about it. Um, well, guys, this was fun, as always. We have a lot coming up, obviously. Um, I'm sure things are going to get crazy. Um, if if Gordon Hayward were to – some kind of deal were to happen with him, it's not going to be until we, – we won't really know until probably Sunday, correct? Well – yeah, I mean, it at least won't be until they can start talking to free agents, I would yeah. think. But it's gonna be yeah, officially gonna be exciting. Right, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, when I say start, I mean quote unquote air quote start talking. Yeah. To- can we just talk for a minute about how you don't even have to watch the draft anymore because Woj and Shams just report the picks before they happen? Yeah, oh, I know. It's kind of know. like, I don't want to say it's annoying. Like it, it's awesome that they're so good at their job, but like at the same time, I'm like, dude, <laughs> like I was trying to watch the draft. It takes a little bit away from the entertainment value. It feels like. I feel like more and more what's interesting about that is that there was a lot of live shows going on, like mm-hmm. that you could have streamed online and simulcast. So I wondered what their ratings were going to be like, but then also like, I think sometimes we can get, a little bit of tunnel vision and think that like people on NBA Twitter are the only people tuning in and watching the draft. Yeah, and, like, exactly. like for example, <laughs> like I know that my parents would have wanted to watch that. And I know that they wouldn't have been sitting there looking at NBA Twitter for what picks Shams and, and uh, Woj were tweeting out. So it wouldn't have been spoiled for them, but. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. Cause I mean, I know we NBA Twitter is not nearly as big as it feels for us. Yeah. <laughs> um so it, it's kind of it's kind of funny how that, that works out but it, it i just love it when the espn broadcast just continues to pretend like this news hasn't been out there for like five minutes <laughs> yeah they keep plowing through yeah it is kind of funny oh wait hold on some news came up from bobby marks um oh it's just a random deal from utah sending ed davis and two seconds to new york Oh, but that puts New York $35 million below the cap now. So, interesting. All right, that doesn't actually matter to what we're talking about. Guys, this <laughs> was did, fun. Oh, uh, I, just to add on, I did see that Ian Bagley out of SNY New York reported before we came on here that he didn't really think that the Knicks were going to be as hard going after Gordon Hayward after they used their own picks last night. So, just something to consider. Well, yeah, because it seems – well, I, I don't want to say that Atlanta's out of the running, but we – uh well, they're definitely not out of the running. I don't know. It just a lot of it feels like a leverage play to try and get the Pacers to pony up more. But I don't know. We're gonna find out hopefully soon. This is gonna be a long weekend, but it's gonna be a good weekend. Fingers crossed for sure. Um, guys, do you have anything exciting coming up this weekend, or, or, or what are you up to other than staring at your screen looking for stuff from Woj and Shams like I'll be? Yeah, like for me, it's either gonna be 
write something about what the Pacers could look like with Gordon Hayward, or if they don't trade for Gordon Hayward, it's going to be write something about some of the plays they might use with Turner and Sabonis. So one or the other of those two outcomes is likely to occur, but that's what's next. And then whoever else they sign, just keeping up to date. Yeah. That's good for all of us. Twitter refresh. Let's go. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Well, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll definitely have more content coming out soon. I'm working on a piece on Cassius Stanley that will be out by the end of the weekend. Um, Just have a good rest of your day. We also have a pretty significant backlog of uh, of podcasts that we've put out over this last week that you can go check out. Of course, read anything we've put out. Just have a good rest of your day.